music, dance, theater. It's time to take a seat on the aisle with Tom Alvarez. Hear from performers, producers, presenters, and creators who enrich our lives in the performing arts. Who's on stage? Here is Tom Alvarez to introduce you. truly Tom Alvarez and thank you for listening. The music you are hearing is played by Daniel Duarte, lecturer in music and guitar at the Indiana University Jacobs School of Music. He is an active guitarist, arranger, conductor, and lecturer who has collected prizes in several guitar and chamber music competitions in the United States, Europe, and Latin America. Duarte is also a multi-instrumentalist who performs on different types of guitars and as a flautist. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome, Danny. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me, Tom. I know. It took a while for us to get here, right? It's, it's really a pleasure. It's a pleasure to see you and to speak with you again. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, you know, when we met, uh, we met at a concert where you played. It was the first time I heard you, laid eyes on you. And uh, uh, once we had a chance to finally meet in person, I told you how I discovered uh, Brazil uh, when I was in college and watched a classic movie called Black Orpheus. And then uh, shortly after that, I uh, discovered Jobim and Astrid Gibelto and that very famous album tailored to Americans. But, you know, from that moment on, I, I just fell in love with Brazilian music and culture. And uh, I, have, I have stayed uh, entranced by it ever since. So hearing you and your colleague Bruno Sandez, and we'll, we'll talk about Bruno as well later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, it, it was, I was just enchanted by the concert and then getting to meet you is such a thrill. What is your background? Well, as you started with uh, talking about Brazil a little bit, let's start there. Yeah, I'm originally from Brazil from uh, Sao Paulo in there. And um, yeah, I started playing guitar 
there. First, my first lobby music was exactly that type of repertoire you saw in that concert. So playing traditional Brazilian music like Jobim um, and other composers like Vila Lobos and many others, Pixinguinha. There's so many, the list could go on and on. But that's what brought me to music, like really enjoying it, like listening to that type of uh, repertoire. And I, early on in life, I started playing the guitar and at home with my father, who also played a little bit of the instrument and sang. Uh, very musical family that I came from. Everybody had to play an instrument. So uh, I decided to pick the guitar and been doing that since then. Describe Brazil. Well, Brazil is a really wonderful country, um, in my opinion. It's a country where, similarly to America, it really welcomed immigrants from all over the world. So it's a country where you have a great diversity uh, that is reflected in music, especially, I would say. Um, and in Brazil... I think from all countries I have visited in my life, um, Brazil is like the, the f most friendly you will find. Um, no matter where you come from, I feel that everybody will welcome you and it's really with open arms and in opposition to other countries where we go as a foreigner and people really want to, you to speak the language, Brazilians will actually go out of their way to try to speak your, your language and welcome you. So it's a, a country... That well, the portrait we see of Brazil in movies and TV is sometimes um, different ends of the spectrum, right? Sometimes you see the beaches, the nature, the environment, uh, the beauty of the country. Sometimes you see also like the violence. You pick a movie like I don't know, City of God, where you see you know that type of uh, uh, portrait of the country, and both can be true. Uh, I think somewhere in the middle, I'll describe as a very friendly, welcoming, beautiful country. I think it goes without saying, though, but do you miss it? I do miss it. Uh, sometimes, of course, my whole family is, is, is still in Brazil. I've been living in the U.S. since 2007. Um, yeah, uninterruptedly. So sometimes yes sometimes uh i do miss that luckily with music a lot of, i play a lot of brazilian music so uh that always kind of bring me back mm -hmm. how often do you return i try to go twice a year uh at least um to see family and, and friends or sometimes teach and perform there as well so i try to stay connect mm -hmm. connected with uh with the place and with the people you know, as I mentioned earlier, the concert that I was referring to was on October the 14th. And, you know, if you want to read the view, review, you can catch it on my TomAlvarez.studio website. And I encourage you to do that uh, because I, uh, I believe it was glowing. I had a lot to say about it that uh, it really touched my heart. It was called Mood Indigo, Bossa Nova Concert. Uh, describe uh, describe the concert. That concert was so special um, because I was doing that with uh, two great friends. So Eric Stark, uh, director of the Indianapolis Symphony Choir, who put everything together. And also uh, Bruno Sandes, a uh, dear friend of mine as well. Uh, in that concert, we performed a lot of bossa nova. So the focus of the concert was in that time period uh, that 
that part of Brazilian repertoire. Uh, we did some instrumentals. We also did um, many famous songs from the girl from, from Ipanema <laughs> mm-hmm. to uh, other more unknown bosses um, that came from Jobim, João Gilberto. Um, we also played Ari Barroso, like um, Aquarela do Brazil, or just it's called Brazil. Um, and we tried to give a, a tour of that time period um, through that repertoire. And what was nice about the concert is that me and Bruno were like the guest artists, but, you know, the amazing Indianapolis uh, Symphonic Choir, uh, over 100 voices singing that type of repertoire is quite unusual, I would say. So it was a very unique sound that we were able to create um, with that concert because usually... The bossa nova, you know, is like a very uh, minimalistic style. It was born as Rio de Janeiro was becoming a vertical city. And, you know, musicians were inside playing the guitar by themselves. So that's how, you know, a lot of the songs that became well-known, they're like guitar and voice. That's it. So doing that, like with a bigger ensemble, uh, was something very nice and unique. And, of course, the fact that uh, Eric Stark, Dr. Stark, his husband is from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had an affinity for the music anyway. Do you not agree? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and Eric, he speaks perfect Portuguese, you know. So it was very nice to actually work with someone here that not only understands the music, but the culture and the language as well. And Drico, his husband, uh, was quite excited about the concert as well. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of of, of uh, and speaking of the choir itself, the fact that they sang in Portuguese, did, I know that Bruno indicated that it, that was really really unique, correct? Very unique, very unique. That, Having over a hundred voices, yeah, yeah, doing that in Portuguese and clear Portuguese, they were super well prepared for mm-hmm. the concert. So, uh, how were their accents? Did you feel? Very, I think they were better than mine <laughs> <laughs> so it really was groundbreaking that concert it was it was mm-hmm. it was a musical unique. cavalcade and uh, sort of a tour of the, of the country and it, i know it really put me there because it was kind of a dark cold night and mm-hmm. I, you know it made me feel warm and like i was on the beaches in rio you know i i think i also mentioned to you my personal connection to your country my brother uh, was in the Foreign Service and a cultural affairs officer, and his job with the U.S. was to bring cultural acts to Brazil. So he also introduced me to the language and the culture and letters at, at the time. And, of course, the samba, mm-hmm. you know, yes. the samba. What is samba, and what does all that represent? So samba is is really important part of the culture uh, in Brazil. Is you know, technically speaking, is a rhythm, is a dance. Um, what is great about the samba and all the variants that came after the samba, because the samba is really um, where everything began in terms of uh, Brazilian national music, right? So because uh, it is a style that incorporates African drumming, you know, and then step by step, we start to introduce other instruments like guitars you know like we use in that concert play that small little guitar from brazil it's called cavaquinho 
which is a Portuguese guitar from the 16th century that was step by step introduced into the samba as well. So it's really a mixture of um, the samba, the, the African percussion rhythms, and with that little tiny guitar, and then step by step also incorporating voices and other instruments, uh, it became more modernized. Um, the carnival in Brazil is based mm -hmm. around the samba. Everybody's dancing the samba. Of course, as time went by, other Brazilian rhythms were incorporated mm -hmm. into um, the carnival party, which is happening very soon. <laughs> and you know what has always impressed me about that? Like our country and many countries, it's, it's you know, it's, there are the haves and the have-nots. The disparity is, is, is present. And yet that carnival... That music, that that cultural experience brings everyone together, right? All the races, all the classes. Is that is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a party for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, it happens in different venues. It can be in clubs or on the street, mm -hmm. and it brings people together. Sometimes there's a little crit criticism about all of the the funding it takes to those elaborate costumes and all mm -hmm. of that. But you know, when it comes right down to it, it makes the people happy, does it not? Yes, yes. The year in Brazil only starts after the carnival. Mm -hmm. After <laughs> So middle of February um, is something that the whole country is deeply invested in. It's a celebration of, of life and mm -hmm. of the new year as well. Uh, and, you know, in, the, in, in its origin, also the religious portion of it that played part um, in that. And yeah, the whole country is invested in that. I don't know of a single region of the country that doesn't buy in the carnival. So tell me, how is it that you ended up in Bloomington, Indiana? Yeah, so I I was uh, in Brazil finishing my undergrad degree, undergraduate degree. Uh, and then three weeks later, I got a um, a scholarship to come and study in the U.S. So that took me to Boston first. So I went to Boston, uh, did my master's degree there, spent about uh, two years working on that degree, and then... And where was that? Where uh, did you go to school? Uh, Boston, Boston Conservatory, okay. which nowadays is called Boston Conservatory at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. It was incorporated into That's the... That's one of the top, top schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, right a, up there was a fantastic... With... Experience right up there with the Juilliard and yeah. Eastman and IU Jacobs exactly, School of Music, exactly. right? Yeah, so that how, that's how I came here. Um, I yeah, so I stayed in Boston, and then during that period of time, I decided to. Um, I was performing a lot and traveling um, right after the end of that degree, and during those nine months, I was like really like traveling all over the place to perform. I felt like I wanted not only wanted to do that, but also to teach. So teaching was something that I really wanted to pursue. So I was like, I'm going to go ahead and try to get a doctorate uh, in music. So that's going to be the next step into this plan of uh, also teaching. Um, and then I applied to India University, came here uh, to Bloomington to do my doctorate. I believe that was... Uh, yeah, many years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but I, um, yeah, so I pursued my doctorate in Bloomington. And after I finished my doctorate, a position opened up there and I ended up staying to teach right away. And I'm still there. Describe your position. Yeah, so I am, um, 
lecturer in music. So I'm a, a faculty in the Jacob School of Music. And I do, I teach studio guitar. So I have my individual students from undergraduates to doctoral students. They're there pursuing their degrees. I also direct the Jacob's Guitar Ensemble, uh, which is a very unique ensemble uh, formed by 12 of the top guitarists that we have uh, at this school. And we play not only classical guitar, but all types of guitars as well. So we can have played Latin American music, where, of course, um, guitar music is so prominent, but also like Electric Counterpoint by Steve Reich with 12 electric guitars. Uh, so really exploring um, the ensemble music for the guitar, which is something fairly new. Um, and then I also teach different courses from arranging uh, to Latin guitar um, and some uh, also like lecturing guitar history. So a little bit for everything. Do you touch upon like jazz and blues as well? No, we have a, a faculty, a special faculty member that does that. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, some may think it's a best kept secret, but you know, in that I cover the performing arts, I, I, from my viewpoint, I know quite well that Jacobs is renowned around the world. So I've always been really interested from someone on the inside. Describe the reputation and, and the culture of uh, Jacob's School of Music. Yeah, it, it is. Jacob's School of Music has been for many decades now one of the top music schools in the world. And what makes it very unique is that it's like a research university. It's a big university, IU, uh, that has this school of music that is like a conservatory in a way. Um, so the students have access to any tools that they need to complete their their studies, their degrees. And the Jacobs School of Music uh, provides so many uh, opportunities. Like if you look at the opera productions that happen at the Jacobs School of Music, like there is no other school in the world that has that type of production um, that is compared to like the Metropolitan Opera sometimes. Uh, the ballet, the jazz departments, uh, the orchestras, um, everything that is happening at Jacob's School of Music is really high level. And the amount of things happening on campus as well is incredible. It's nonstop. It's concert after concert after concert after concert. You could spend your whole day there attending incredible events um, from all instruments, from all departments. And, and the faculty as well, like my colleagues are amazing, some of the best uh, musicians uh, in the world that end up going there and, and teaching uh, our students. Well, you know, uh, I asked you to bring your guitar and you uh, gratefully uh, you know, uh, agreed to do so. And of course, we, we heard a bit of it uh, on the open of the show, but since you got it sitting right by you, why don't you play something for me? How about, first of all, a sample of, uh, of what we heard uh, at the concert last fall? Should you do that? Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I, I could play. Um, I think we did Agua de Beber by Jobim. Okay. Uh, and that comes through. I can play a little bit of that for you. All right. Let's take a listen.
So would you say you have a passion for teaching? I do. Yes, yes. Um, I really love teaching. Um, being with the students and witnessing their growth as musicians, something that gives me like incredible amount of joy. Like I'm always so proud of like every little step that they, they take in their progression towards their goals. And it's it's something that I really love. And I really enjoy like the routine of sitting down with the students and working on uh, helping them. That kind of, that's a feeling that, I don't know, I always, always really enjoy, uh, enjoy doing it. And yes, yeah, so I do have a, a passion for teaching and it's really a fundamental part of, of my life. What are your students like? They have a, <laughs> a little bit of a, of a, there's a very diverse group of students. I would say students from different country, cultures and countries, you know. Have Any a, from Brazil? I have a student from Brazil, actually, mm -hmm. right now. I have a, a, a graduate student from Brazil mm -hmm. right now. Did he come there because of you? Well, we try to recruit the best okay. students. Yes. Uh, and, yeah, so sometimes um, students from Brazil, they're, you know, they are looking to continue mm -hmm. their studies um, with someone like, like myself who specializes in sure. that type of music. And they... Want to well, come I'm here sure you for take that. all your students under your wing, but you, do you give special attention? To no, 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 <laughs> no. I try to teach all of them uh, and give the exact amount of attention yeah. um, to all of them, really. Do and you have a Do you have a teaching method or methods that you use? Absolutely. How would you describe them? Absolutely. You know, as you were like myself during my doctorate, you start learning about different techniques and approaches uh, to teach. And you have this toolbox full of, uh, you know, concepts there. But then each student will require you to use a different teaching tool uh, for them. Some students will react really, really well uh, to a very specific and precise plan towards a goal. Some students are more proactive in a way. And they you don't need to really worry about how they're going to get there. But just like with the mechanics of making their plan work um also sometimes we have students that are ideal students that simply by saying one little thing will create a sparkle there that will help them towards their goals certain students will have to really hold their hands and be like okay let's do this step by step and be very methodical about how to get to their final goal you have so yeah, we learn different techniques um, of how to, to teach, and each student requires a very different... Uh, that's what I believe, that you have to tailor your teaching style to each student to help them. Because if you only have one single way of teaching, um, probably it's not going to work with all every single student. And you, of course, you want to have a success rate that is uh, for everyone that is studying with you you know if you could break it down into uh percentages uh do you have any sense of the students and the goals that you speak of how many of them want to just do education how many want to perform how many want to do what you do perform and be educators yeah we have a a, a variety of uh, of goals of course and it i don't have like the exact numbers but i would say that a lot of our students especially like the doctoral students they go out to teach so they will teach in a university, in a conservatory, or they're going to open their like own school of music. That has happened in the past. We had students that want to be 
performers. So they want to go out and play concerts and do recordings or become producers. Uh, and students sometimes that also want to do music like for their undergrad because they are very passionate and they want to develop those skills. And then they also end up going to arts administration or to mm -hmm. other careers as well um, that, you know, they'll go to grad school later for something else. Mm -hmm. So it's a really a variety. And some students, they don't know <laughs> what they want and they end up finding out. Sounds like me. <laughs> during, the, 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 during the course of their, their time at school and they find themselves doing something very unexpected you know mm -hmm. like I, I remember recently i had a student who was not sure what he wanted to do uh, during his undergrad years but before he finished he had a a, a publishing deal <laughs> for the music mm -hmm. he was he was writing so he moved to la and he, he, he and i there. relate to this so much because i studied theater and i ended up in broadcasting of course they're related but uh I can always revisit it as a writer and in various other ways. But uh, tell me about, uh, do you keep track of your former students? I try to. I try to be in touch with them um, and check on how they're doing. And they also are very proactive about, you know, coming back to Bloomington uh, for homecoming or an event. And, and then we end up like getting coffee and, and, and talking. But I try. I try to yeah. proactively check on them and make sure that everything is And is what does well. it feel like when you see some of your students who have gone on and have there been many who've gone on to become big names, if you will? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you feel proud drop and old. Some, drop some names. <laughs> proud and old at the same time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, the most recent... Give those... me some examples of some of your students who've gone on and where have they performed and that sort of thing. Very recently, right now, I was like watching the Grammys two nights ago and I had one of my, my students running for a Grammy as a producer uh, off one of the albums wow. there. And he's a student that came from Indiana um alex goldblatt is, is his name and he yeah he was undergrad student that i had that's doing so well for example did you know back then that he would have the career he has I, I always knew that he was very very talented and he's still very young mm -hmm. uh but doing amazing things and it's it was one of those things that he didn't have a major at first, and then he declared a major in music and in guitar, and one thing led to the to the other, really. So he's, you know, um, doing very well. So that's the first one came to my mind because I was watching the Grammys and his <laughs> name dropped yeah. there. Uh, so make of course. Did you watch the Grammys, the whole uh, program? A little bit. What did you think of it? Uh, I I thought it was like some incredible, um, incredible, incredible things there. I know. That especially in classical music and instrumental music, um, it was very good to see some some friends up there running or winning sometimes. So, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I watched a little bit. I'm gonna be honest; I'm not a big fan of this type of uh, yeah. <laughs> shows. I don't have the, right, right. Uh, but the little bit I watched. Uh, was, well, of course, you you were considered Latino. So, or how do you feel about the uh, the Latino participation in the music industry now and more exposure aside from the quote latin grammars yeah a lot of crossovers yeah like it's it, it it's it feels like it's opening up more and more mm -hmm. over the years mm -hmm. uh it's still um like for example in my universe uh like of uh higher education 
it's very minimal very minimal representation is still interesting uh from faculty and students sometimes as well um in terms of like how many the percentage of like faculty members and they're latino in educational institutions but it's a step-by-step um improving and getting more open and do you feel that's part of the groundswell that that of course uh Black Lives Matter opened the door for many, many marginalized people. Mm-hmm. It's just the the whole effort to change public consciousness, social consciousness seems to. But you know, the arts have always been in the vanguard in, in some ways. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I think you know after Black Lives Matter and everything. Um, a lot of institutions genu- genuinely started looking at the issue. A lot of institutions went on an apology tour as well mm-hmm. uh, for a little bit and then dropped the ball again. So uh, what do we want to see, of course, in this type of uh, this, in this type of conversation, seeing uh, constant growth towards mm-hmm. more representation, of course, not a, a little bit here, a little bit there, and then that's done. Let's talk about your your career, your own career outside of uh, of school. Tell me about your career. Do you tour? Do you record? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been uh, always in my life like trying to do both. So teaching and performing. Uh, before the pandemic, I was touring mostly with uh, my colleague from my U, uh, Patrick Jankovic, playing in a duo. Uh, two guitars, so we went all over the country and abroad as well, uh, playing concerts with that project. Uh, I feel that since the pandemic, um, doing much less of that uh, because sometimes end up teaching more and performing less. Sometimes we're performing more and teaching less. Uh, it's kind of like a <laughs> a cycle. Uh, after the pandemic, I would say that I was really focused on um, more of the teaching portion of it and uh, I um, but I still tour and perform with different projects um, I we're actually preparing now a uh, an album with that project again with with Petr Jankovic of two guitars and I'm also preparing a solo album in the summer uh, where but then after these projects are complete go back and again. what's in the solo album so I was only Brazilian music yeah, so it's only Brazilian music. There's music from Sarja Saj. There's some original music that was written for me uh, by different composers from Brazil that I'm uh, working on and, and going to be recording very soon. There's some Jobim as well, of course. Uh, so Brazilian guitar music mm-hmm. in it. Do you ever... I'm just curious. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about classical guitar here, but uh, have you spent much time playing, performing in España? I have been to Spain and I have performed there in the past. Um, and the former chair of the guitar department, Ernesto Bitetti, he retired and he lives in Madrid. So we have that connection there. Uh, one of the great uh, guitarists of the 20th century. Um, that is from, originally from Argentina, but retired there and has been living in Madrid for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Bloomington and Madrid as well. Uh, so yeah, I have, uh, and I always really enjoyed uh, playing Spanish music. Have you uh, have you ever accompanied flamenco dancers? I have actually. I have done that in the past. I'm not a flamenco player per mm-hmm. se, but I do know the techniques and the the 
I can find my way around flamenco music as well. So I have played with flamenco dancers and, and singers as well. And for those who aren't educated, like me, not completely, uh, tell me about, describe the classical guitar repertoire. Classical guitar repertoire, um, it's something that is, of course, it has a long tradition of many centuries. But the guitar, as we know today, with six strings and the size we have, it's not a very old instrument. You know, uh, Antonio Torres is a Spanish guitar maker. He started to uh, make guitars the way we know today. And that became popularized early on in the 20th century and beyond. Was the Spanish player Andres Segovia, who made the, you know, the guitar popular, the classical guitar popular around the world for the masses in a way. Uh, he was, you know, he played in the White House. He was in the cover of the New York Times, was probably the first guitarist to do so. Uh, and he created like a whole aura around the instruments and a new repertoire that we still play uh, today. He was asking composers to write original music, but also relying on transcriptions like from uh, piano music by Itzhak Albanese. Um, and even if you go back in time, you look at transcriptions from Bach. Uh, and other classical composers played on the guitar to show that the guitar has that capability uh, of playing all types of um, repertoire. Because one of the stigmas that the guitar encountered over the centuries was just an instrument to accompany the voice or for strumming chords. And um, with the modern guitar, we're able to perform all sorts of repertoire. So the classical guitar repertoire, you can look for these really classics that came um, from centuries ago. We look at Fernando Sora, Mario Giuliani, um, composers that were in Italy, in Spain, uh, in France. And then you have this original music written. Then you also have the transcriptions from other instruments. Like as guitarists, we play Bach violin pieces on the guitar or cello pieces on the guitar. And then you have the more modern original repertoire written for the guitars we know today. The guitar with 60 strings with this regular uh, size we have. So it's a very versatile uh, instrument. The repertoire as well in the Americas, from the Americas, right? So from South, Central, and North America is really rich, especially um, at the end of the 19th century and until today. That's the bulk of the repertoire really comes from there. And so while you're here with me still, and you still have your guitar, uh, would you like to play me uh, some uh, something from that repertoire? Yeah, I can, I can play something for you. Like a, I'll play one of these transcriptions that I mentioned okay. um, from Spanish music. So this is a piece by um, Itzhak Albeniz. Uh, and I'll play the, the introduction of that piece for you here in Autumn. Um, it's called Humores de la Cajeta. It's originally written for piano, but as you, you see, it translates very well for the guitar. what does that mean, that title? It's uh, rumors, like sounds from like the alleys. So it's like basically trying to show like as you were walking around in Spain, you're hearing the sounds of guitars in the background. Okay. Let's listen. Yeah.
You know, I often wonder if it's in my blood, my Spanish blood. Uh, but of course, it was played, you know, in, in, in Mexico. Uh, and it's part of the culture there as well, all Latin American countries. Uh, so I always have a, a, a visceral kind of reaction to it. Do other people describe it that way too, the guitar? Not yeah. Just, not just Latinos, but in general. Yeah, yeah, I would say and so. why is that? I think the guitar is is certainly like the most popular instrument in the world. Um, and like how many people you know that play the guitar? You know, they can pick up a guitar and play a few chords here and there for fun. Uh, the guitar has that... Ex- it is an accessible instrument, right? So it's a guitar instrument that is not the most expensive. You don't need thousands of dollars to buy a guitar. You can go literally to Target and pick up an instrument uh, for a, a very reasonable price and start trying to play. But this, the mechanics of the instrument, what I think we're referring to is like how intimate the guitar is. Mm. It's an instrument that is not too loud, it has a very pleasant sound and is accessible. Uh, and that makes, it just makes, I, I don't know, people are always happy to hear the guitar. And also it's part of many different cultures, as you said. So the guitar, uh, if you look historically speaking, is an instrument that, you know, like small little guitars traveled from Europe to Portugal to Africa. Mm-hmm. In the ships, you know, so like the Portuguese brought to Brazil, like this small, tiny guitar, the cavaquinho, and it's still a popular instrument nowadays because it's tiny and very easy to travel with. You know, recently I interviewed Austin Huntington, the mm-hmm. cellist for the symphony, and I asked him the same question. What is it about the sound of the of the cello that attracts so many? Uh, and, you know, he said, well, it's, it's it really it replicates the human voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and doesn't the guitar also replicate singing? It can, it can. Mm-hmm. The guitar is a uh, you know, as the cello, of course, has its sound is is, is the the melodic nature of the instrument. The guitar mm-hmm. is melodic and harmonic at the same time. You can recreate sounds of the human voice on the guitar. You can create sounds, percussive sounds of the guitar. Mm-hmm. You can create um, sounds of birds on the guitar you can mm-hmm. create like pretty much any sound the guitar mm-hmm. can make any sound and that's the beauty of the instruments what know? drew you to it when you were that little boy and how old were you i was around nine years old mm-hmm. um what drew me to it was how intimate it was and how pleasant to hear it was like the just the sound of like an arpeggio on the mm-hmm. guitar like drew caught my attention i was mm-hmm immediately hooked by that i was like this is a unique sound and what made me also me i found interesting on the guitar at first and that's i don't know how i had that realization but was the fact that on the guitar you needed both hands to make the sound there was no middle in between you and the instruments because i remember seeing a pianist and you had you know like the mechanism between the keys and the player to create the sound, uh, or the flute where you are pressing the keys. Um, the guitar, you don't really you have the strings in your hands. You have to kind of create the sound from scratch. And I found that it was like really interesting 
to try to maneuver that mm -hmm. and create like your own sound. So that physical touch also is something that made me intrigued. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned earlier that your family, uh -huh. your immediate family, were musicians, or you grew up with music. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Tell me about them. Yeah. Um, mom and dad and brothers and sisters. Yeah. Um, I know that in my family, like going back to like my great grandfather, uh, who who moved from from Italy to to Brazil. He was a musician. So you're part Italian. I am, yes. And, and uh, Brazilian. Yes, yes. But that's not uncommon. That's a country made up of a lot of, exactly. of it's folks not from Europe. It's not uncommon, especially Italians in Brazil. I think the biggest population outside of Italy is in Brazil. Do you speak Italian as well? Parlo un poco italiano, sì. Oh, wow. How <laughs> many languages do you speak? Uh, I speak Spanish, English, Portuguese, and Italian, yeah. Did, were you surprised when you came to this country and discovered that we're mostly monolingual? <laughs> uh, I was a surprise, I would say. I think, um, you know, like I met people here that speak multiple languages as well. Well, in Bloomington, you'd certainly yeah. find them, right? Yeah, 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 yeah for a, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but back to your family. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. So, you. my, this part of my family, they went to Brazil and. Uh, my great grandfather, he was he was a conductor, played piano, and all his sons had like four sons, and all of them he played. He conducted whom? He conducted bands and orchestras okay. in Brazil, and he composed as well. And one of the the things that everybody in the family had to play something. So he played. He made a living playing silent movies uh, with his orchestra, live music, and. And that kind of like spread to the family. So my then my grandfather he played the piano. You know his brothers played the clarinet, the violin. Did you guys have jam sessions? Oh yeah, I was <laughs> when I was a kid. I was terrified of those because on Sunday evening everybody would gather around the piano and somebody everybody had to play something. And it was like I was always nervous when I see my dad going up and playing. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, my dad played the guitar and sang as well. My mom played the flutes. My sisters play guitar, piano. So everybody in the family did a little bit of music. And, so and do you play other instruments as well? I do. I play the flutes. Okay. Yeah, I, I study the flutes pretty well, seriously. Yeah, I, I it said I, I said that in my opening and I referred to it as flautist. Was that incorrect? You can say that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or flutist, <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, so everybody in the family played something and since my um my grandfather, I don't think nobody was like a professional musician, mm -hmm. um, but everybody enjoyed and loved music. Mm -hmm. And it's still today when I go home, everybody, you know, there's music. So <laughs> have you gone back to find your people in Italy? I have actually. I what have been there. Like? I, I, I remember a few years ago I had a concert in Italy. And I had a, after the concert, I had two days there and I had no plan. I was like, I remember a conversation with my grandmother and she told me like, you know, uh, you should go back to like your hometown. <laughs> find out your roots. Yeah. Right? And so, uh, so I did. Roots. I got on a train with no plan. You know, back then, you didn't like, we didn't really have like cell phones like we have today. Like you put in the map and you go. I just started asking questions and went down to Napoli on a train. I was all the way in Slovenia up there. Took the train all the way down to Napoli and... 
uh, then got on a you know in a, in a cab and asked if he could drive me to this little town uh, called Hofreno in Italy and I went there and woke up the next day went to the to the city hall and you know I said can I have a tour here or something? And then it was like the priest came, the 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 mayor came. Everybody's like, oh, this is you know where your great grandfather was born, and this oh, and that. That's so cool. Was did very... they lead you to people's houses? Yeah, to meet your relatives. They did. They did. They took me to the church where like my <sighs> great grandfather was baptized, and this. I very... just saw a movie with that whole same plot. I can't think <laughs> of, just recently. Yeah, it took place in Italy, and the same thing happened. Yeah. Yeah, I did that, and yeah, it was really fun to actually to actually do that. Did you feel that roots experience, getting back in touch with your? Yeah, I don't know. yeah, it was quite special actually mm-hmm. um, to to do that. I am, um, you know, I always grew up hearing that, hearing the language, and hearing about you know this 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 town. And, and did you grow up with eating multiple cuisines? Yeah, Brazil. Italian? Brazil yeah. is very uh, diverse in terms of cuisine. A lot of, of fusion, right? A lot of fusion. And but yeah, did you eat feijoada? I never ate feijoada in my <laughs> life. I mispronounced it. No, you didn't. You did right. It's okay. called feijoada. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. I never have never eaten feijoada. Really? Because huh. I, I'm I thought not, it was like your national dish. It is, it okay. is. But um, there, I'm. Uh, I don't like beans, and I'm a vegetarian, so you know, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> we have to talk about Karma Miranda, okay? Yeah. Uh, because we, 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 you and I at some point had a bit of conversation about yeah. Karma Miranda, and you know, uh, I don't think that people realize who real she really was. Mm-hmm. They just have this image of her with the fruit on her head and. And you know, sort of her comic Im- image. But tell me, tell me what you thought about her. Think about her. Well, she was like such a, an advocate for Brazilian and Latin American music very early on. And she was in a unique spot for being so um, present in in the American media. Like she was in movies and TV shows, and was really a pioneer in that sense. She was actually from Portugal. She was born in Portugal, mm-hmm. uh, but she. Of course, uh, uh, was mostly performing Brazilian music um, with a perfect Brazilian accent as well, and she she sang a very specific repertoire that appealed to the masses. She was very smart in choosing the music she was actually performing, and the musicians that she uh, worked with were absolutely the best as well. One of them was. Garoto was a phenomenal Brazilian guitarist and composer that influenced a whole generation of musicians like Jobim that came after him. Uh, we were already ex- exploring very modern harmonies, very sophisticated ways of playing the guitar, uh, and creating what we know today is really the Brazilian Brazilian music, like national nationalism in Brazilian music mm-hmm. that didn't exist before. That period uh, was really something invented around that time period. So uh, she was incredibly important for the development of a Brazilian music language. Yeah, and she did open the door for Americans' love of of in popular music of Brazilian music and the list of of American singers is, is long of those who 
you know, who, who sang music by Brazilian composers. Who are some of them? Uh, contemporary, by the way, I'm a big fan of Stacey Kent's. Mm -hmm. Do you know Stacey Kent's, the jazz singer? Yeah. Okay. Well, she uh, records in, in Brazilian or Portuguese mm -hmm. and a lot of Brazilian songs in her repertoire. Are you a fan by any chance? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a fan of, of her and I'm, I'm a fan of like Brazilian music in general. It's something that yes, I carry with me. <laughs> Who are some other American singers? I mean, even Sinatra. Sinatra recorded amazing albums uh, in partnership with Jobim mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, um, exposed Brazilian music to the world, really helped to popularize further the, the style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Stan Getz, that uh, seminal recording that I listened to when I was in college, mm -hmm. uh, I understand just recently we lost Astro Gilberto uh, within the last year, I yeah, believe. Yeah, it was re very recent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, why are you a musician, period? A great question. <laughs> <laughs> why am I a musician? Well, um, for me, music... It was the first thing I was like really interested in my life. I think soccer and music. When I was a kid, I loved playing soccer. I was like, I'm going to be a soccer player. Um, and But music kind of gave meaning to my life in a very different way. Uh, it was the first thing I was like, I actually want to sit down and do this the whole day. You know, it's like something that I was in a way like addicted to it <laughs> right away. I was hooked to to, to music as soon as I started and I was able to really focus on that and enjoy that in a different way that I had not experienced with like anything else uh, in life and I think when I naturally decided to step by step become like a professional musician that was like so ingrained in my my routine you know I never had to like some, I never had someone to tell me like go practice you know always enjoy that process uh, of preparing something or to like just really spend time with the, the instruments and with other musicians as well collaboration is something that also always uh, moves me in a different way like collaborating with other musicians and creating something uh, with them is something I always enjoyed so I feel that that experience of like instantly enjoying that in a different way was unique to me like the 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 desire of focusing on that right away is something i had had not had before like in school with other subjects and 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 anything else but music when you start playing I was like wow that's something i love doing and i think that's what was the driving force behind becoming a does professional musician does music obsess you <laughs> yes yes in a way i would say yes because sometimes, you know, you go to bed at night and you're still thinking about something. You're... And my next question was, how does it inform your life? I mean, are you, do you hear music in your head all the time? A lot of it. Like, yeah, a lot of time, like, singing lines in my and thinking about mm -hmm. the mechanics of uh, something I'm preparing uh, or writing. Do, or... You, do you connect nature with music? I mean, do you, are you, like, when you're in Bloomington, of course, down there, you've got those hills and yeah. all the beautiful <laughs> nature. Is it, did it inspire you? I mean, you walk around and like get creative. <laughs> yeah, I think that everything 
when you're like a musician, anything can like really inspire right. you. And in right. nature, if you're like in a nice, relaxed place um, with beautiful nature, of course, that always pushes you to 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 do it. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, like you, the concert you attended, yeah. like the Bossa Nova concert. Bossa Nova is a style based around nature. Mm -hmm. You know, it talks about the the water. It talks about the clean air. <laughs> Before this was a, a topic, even talks about the ocean and our connection to, to earth. And yeah, so I think definitely. You mentioned you were a, a, also an arranger. Yeah. And that you do arranging for orchestras and, and so on and so forth. Have you, uh, are you a composer as well? <laughs> no, uh, I don't consider myself a composer. Mm -hmm. um, I love arranging. Um, I, at least until now, I'm like, too critical of the things I've tried to to write, oh. um, but you know, many times arrangers, composers are arrangers first, and then they become composers later. Yeah. Um, so, so it's not off the table. Not off the you. table. Yeah. Not off the table. And Maybe if you were I, to do something, what do you think it would be? Uh, probably things with the guitar, uh -huh. uh, writing for original music for for guitar and. Um, that's something that probably would be my first mm -hmm. step towards that. It's not off the table. I have written things. Um, I've even had like some people playing those things, <laughs> but I'm like too critical of myself so far to do what it. What are some of the? Uh, tell me about some of the arrangement arranging projects that you've done. So the bulk of my arranging um, in the last few years was uh, arranging music for guitar ensembles. So creating a set of repertoire that didn't really exist until now. Guitar ensembles usually are formed by 12, 24, 32 guitars. They're playing four parts. They're doubling everything. And I went off to one of my missions, research missions, um, since I started at IU, is to create a new set of repertoire for guitar ensembles. So I write uh, for groups in a way that each guitarist will have their own independent part. So they're not doubling. So that's just to a modern approach to guitar ensembles. And also commission pieces in the same nature to composers to write for that group. So the past seven years, I've been nonstop arranging for that type of formation. Mm -hmm. And I had pieces um, that have been performed, like arrangements performed around the world and commissions that I did also performed uh, all over the place using that new philosophy. Uh, so that's been my the bulk of my arranging the past few years due to this research uh, goal. You know, I can't let you go without your tongue telling me more about, describe the group that you work with at Christchurch Cathedral here in Indianapolis. Yeah, it's a very nice. I've been collaborating uh, with the CCC uh, for almost a decade now. And... Growing this this mission um, of the Coro Latino Americano, which is to bring to the heart of Indianapolis uh, Latin American music, um, seen in a very unique uh, context, right? So the CCC has a service every Sunday at 1 p.m. and they have a choir and a full ensemble playing Latin American music in Spanish. Uh, we have also sang in Portuguese in the past, mm -hmm. uh, but mostly in Spanish. And this group is very unique as well around the country. I don't think there is a, a cathedral like the CCC that has a, a choir 
formed by, by volunteers and professional musicians of the highest caliber um, singing that type of repertoire every week. And, and, and where do all of the musicians come from? What are some of the countries represented? So we have people from, of course, Mexico, Colombia, uh, Guatemala, Honduras, Brazil. Um, we had people from, what am I missing as well? This is Colombia already. I think I did. Uh, Bolivia. We've had people from Peru as well in the past. Are you seeing any Venezuelans with this last wave of immigrants? or They're not really matriculated or settled right here. We, yeah. we have not. Okay. At least in Seems the like choir. Seems like it be a matter of time, don't you? Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. At least in the choir, I don't have any members. But I have seen people in the congregation mm -hmm. from Venezuela. Do you feel as I do? Well, of course, I was born in this country, but I always, I always uh, felt that... Uh, you know the, the 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 fact that there wasn't as there wasn't the diversity there is now. Oh, I always felt that I missed out on something as mm -hmm. a result of that. The way I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. But having said that, I watch. I've been here in Indianapolis since nineteen the early seventies, and I've seen the immigrant community grow in the last ten years. And I believe we finally can call ourselves a world class city because we the fabric has changed. Mm -hmm. Now there are brown white and black faces yeah and i think it does my heart good does it do, what does it do for you absolutely um that certainly makes me uh happy and to be part of that you know because um the more diversity i believe we have the richer the place becomes mm -hmm. and indianapolis is certainly step by step becoming more and more diverse and the opportunities that is you know for artists in general i think when you're in this type of environment um cool things start to happen and and a variety of uh or music organizations and arts organizations around town they're supporting uh really um efforts that incorporate cultures from all over the world mm -hmm. and i've in my opinion that's also a very positive and desired I agree. outcome. I agree. I want to know more about you, the person. And I know you have a family. Tell me about your family. Yeah. Um, I have your a local family, your immediate family. Yeah. Um, I have my wife and two dogs. We don't have kids. <laughs> we have two uh, with and terriers. <laughs> They're lovely. Um, yeah. And that's my immediate family here in the And tell me States. about your wife. Yeah, she is What's her name? Casey, mm -hmm. and she works for the IU Foundation mm -hmm. as well. And she, we met in Bloomington while we were both living there. And she also worked in the past for the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra. And now with the foundation working with the campuses around the state. And you live in Indianapolis? We do, yeah. We're bots. Uh, in the Bates Hendricks area. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Two chicks and a hammer. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, that's very, you know, the, the changes started in the neighborhood with that TV uh -huh. show. What's that neighborhood like? It's, it's a great neighborhood. It has changed a lot. Um, when I first moved there, you'd see a lot of uh, police activity. <laughs> but now you see uh, babies running around. So it's a good sign of uh, 
of change there. Amazing families that have moved there. A lot of musicians actually. Oh really? Um, also moved there, um, and it really changed. Like well, the, you know, the nearby Fountain Square and yeah. uh, you know that area has always artists have always been drawn to the, those areas. But of course, you know, it, many consider it a bad word. Gentrification. Yeah. Uh, has its good and its bad points, as you know. And unfortunately, a lot of the artists who live in that area can't afford the rent. Mm -hmm. and so, But in any case, uh, uh, that's a whole other podcast. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> how do you like Indianapolis? Tell me. Yeah, I really like India. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I feel that I'm lucky that I'm like in Bloomington and Indianapolis. Two You've amazing the best of places. Worlds, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because Indianapolis, so much to see and do here in India. Mm -hmm. um, the contact also with other musicians around town, musicians from the orchestra, for mm -hmm. example, from the ISO, musicians from the symphonic choir, and you know all other organizations that are here have Butler as well. They have uh, colleagues that we collaborate with there, and in Bloomington, of course, the IU Jacob School of Music. And how do you like that new leg of '69? By the it, way. <laughs> It made my life a little bit easier, but enduring the commute during the process was quite hard. Oh, really? Okay. I, I think the governor should send me a check <laughs> because the, all the hours that we had to spend, like, you know, in construction zones was... But now it's much better. Uh, I believe that when it's completely done, it's going to be so much easier to commute between Bloomington and, and Indy. Okay, it looks like uh, we're going to wrap this up, but... Please tell me, do you think, why should young people play an instrument? That's a, that's a, a great question, I think, especially they? nowadays. Uh -huh. I, yeah, especially nowadays, you know, it's so many devices you can carry with you to have fun. Like, you can play games on your phone, like kids love doing that. You can, of course, video games and uh, social media, all the distractions that we have. Um, it is, I believe it's becoming more and more challenging for people to be able to sit down and focus on like play an instrument, for example, an activity that is manual, you know, uh, and doesn't have a screen, <laughs> although they're making guitars with some screens right now as well, where you can, uh, use electronics in it. So that's very appealing to the kids, but that's a different story. Uh, I believe that the connection with music it's so natural. So no matter the instrument, music is part of being a human being. That's why we found percussion instruments and flutes in caves centuries and centuries and millennia ago. Um, all the early organized civilizations we had, the Egyptians, the Greeks, they could cultivate music in a very special way. I think it's part of human expression, first of all. But also the enjoyment you get from like playing instruments, it's, it's very unique because, as I mentioned before, you're producing something from scratch. You're giving a piece of wood and some string, with some strings on the top, and it can create a whole universe that will allow you to communicate with other human beings and for you to express uh, your ideas. What would your advice be to parents and teachers who see talent in, in, in kids that they... I think uh, most important thing is encouragement uh, towards, um, if you see talent, encourage that. However, it's very important not to push them 
too much sometimes because I've seen a lot of cases where, you know, you meet a kid that is extremely talented, but the parents push the kid so much to go to competitions and to practice eight Stage hours a day. complex. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the kid, you know, uh, burns out mm-hmm. and not pursue music further. I, I have seen cases of extremely talented kids with facility to play and to be like very natural at it. The bad could be the best of the best, but because of so much uh, pressure, they end up dropping out. So it's encouragement in a very positive way. Um, encourage exploration of the instrument and with music in general, not towards mm-hmm. the goal of the parents of making that the best of the best. No, encourage experimentation. Encourage um day-to-day step-by-step growth in a way that is healthy not unhealthy and words of wisdom from someone who benefited from parents and teachers who from the very beginning encouraged you to become daniel duarte exactly yeah i'm (laughs) grateful for those Thank you for sharing your valuable time with me. I really appreciate getting to know you. And, uh, 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 you the fact that you're leading this whole generation of, of uh, young musicians is very encouraging. It gives me a lot of hope and many other people. So thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Tom. And thank you for all you do for uh, the arts community here in the state of Indiana. It's well, a pleasure. Know, this podcast is just going to help me you know, widen the net. Yes, it's a great thing. I'm, I'm very happy for you. Congratulations. Again, thank you for being with me. Thank you. Thank you. Who will take center stage on the podcast next? Your seat on the aisle with Tom Alvarez awaits. Follow Tom on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And make sure to visit TomAlvarez.studio. Watch Tom every other Thursday on Lifestyle Live on Wish TV. And make sure to listen every week here on the All Indiana Podcast Network.